Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call. Pulling you deep into shadow. Twisting your senses. Keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. With that most dastardly of shopping days, Black Friday, nearly upon us, and the Christmas holidays looming not far off in the distance, I'm excited to announce that, as of early next week, you'll be able to shower your friends, relatives, loved ones, and even enemies with terror. Tales to terrify merch, that is. We've partnered with Tee Public to offer a variety of different Tales to Terrify items for you to share or keep for yourself. We'll be updating the store regularly with new designs and custom artwork inspired by and designed for the show. The store should be open sometime next week, so keep watch on our social media if you'd like to own a little piece of darkness for yourself. This week, we're making our way further east into the province of Manitoba and its capital city, Winnipeg. Winnipeg has long held a special place in the hearts and spirits of those interested in the supernatural. Dr. Thomas Glendenning Hamilton, a prominent figure of the spiritualist movement, called the city home. Considered one of the most gifted psychic researchers of all time, Hamilton's work drew quite a bit of notoriety, in particular from one fellow spiritualist and author who you may have heard of before, the father of Sherlock Holmes himself, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Doyle traveled to Winnipeg in 1923 to visit Hamilton and see what paranormal possibility the city held for himself. And by all accounts, he didn't go home disappointed. Winnipeg, Doyle said, stands very high among the places we have visited for its psychic possibilities. And that's high praise. As someone who used their successful writing career to finance speaking tours to share his spiritualist point of view, there were no lack of paranormal places for him to compare it to. Digging through the history of the city, it seems like Winnipeg certainly earned the praise from Sir Arthur. Tales of spooks, specters, and other strange occurrences are not hard to come by. It's not super clear what makes it such a hotbed. 
may be the fact that the city sits at the exact center of North America, if you count the Arctic islands, that is. Or maybe it's just the often harsh climate and history of conflict. But one of the earliest, most well-preserved tales of haunting comes from the former Hudson Bay Company outpost known as Lower Fort Garry. The headline in the August 29, 1903 issue of the Morning Telegram reads, Ghost seen at the fort, nightly vigils of the sentries made hideous by an apparition. But that headline, and the story that follows it, could only begin to scratch the surface of the strange experience had by the militia of the Canadian Mounted Rifles stationed there. The militia camp, for the most part, was fairly calm and relaxed. The most action they'd typically see was a trade caravan headed into town to barter, or the occasional burst of newcomers traveling from the east. Nighttime sentry duty was especially boring. An easy job, for sure, but standing watch at the camp entrance with virtually nothing to do and no one to talk to for hours on end, that gets old pretty fast. So, when the moonlight caught on a dust cloud approaching the gates around midnight, it was a welcome sight for the bored sentry. Even a moment's fleeting interaction was better than a whole shift alone. As the cloud neared, he could just make out its source. A pair of oxen pulling a Red River cart, with two figures sat up front. The figure holding the reins leaned low against the cool night breeze, while the other sat back, draped in a light blanket. The cart squeaked and trundled its way up the rutted road, the oxen plodding along rhythmically, clearly in no hurry. And judging from the reins held loose in the driver's hand, neither were they. The two people in the cart eyed the sentry as they approached. They were Métis, he noticed, although he supposed the cart should have been a dead giveaway. As they passed, their eyes bore into the sentry. He stood a little straighter, tried his best to look official. Their gaze wasn't aggressive or cold, just empty, unsettling. Sure, it was a little strange for them to be out this late at night, but there was no rule against it. The driver reached up and touched the wide brim of his hat, bowing his head almost imperceptibly, and then they were past, heading into town. The sounds of the cart gradually faded away, and the night went back to its typical, still monotony. The sentry felt more alert than he had before, though. The encounter, no matter how brief, had jogged his brain into wakefulness. Something felt different. Even though the cart was gone, the night somehow didn't feel nearly as empty. Before the feeling could entirely fade, he spied another cloud of dust kicking up on the horizon. Another white plume illuminated by the cool light of the moon. He watched, waiting for the new traveler to materialize. And then, there it was, plodding its way up over a hill. Another Red River cart. Two carts, this late at night, one not long after another? It couldn't be a coincidence. They had to be traveling together. As it neared, the ebbing tide of unease washed back over him like a crashing wave. Two figures sat at the front of the cart. Two Métis, a man with a wide-brimmed hat, reins clasped loosely in his hand, and a woman laying back with a blanket. The sentry absently rubbed his eyes, but he could scarcely peel them from the pair as they rode up, watching him the whole way. Again, the man touched the brim of his hat and nodded ever so slightly. But there seemed to be more life in his eyes this time, the twinkling hint of a smile. Dazed, the sentry nodded back, and again, they were fading into the distance toward town. The sentry stood, 
leaning heavily on the muzzle of his rifle, puzzling over what he'd just seen. It was the same pair, wasn't it? Had they circled around somehow? That didn't seem possible. He looked up from his pondering, and there it was again, another plume of dust approaching from the same direction. He waited, tense with anticipation. A Red River cart, a pair of oxen, and two passengers, Métis, a man, a woman, a blanket, and a hat. This time he refused to stand aside when they approached. There was something going on here. The reclining woman seemed frustratingly relaxed, a bemused look in her eyes, and the smile on the man's lips was now more noticeable, too, infuriatingly so. Hold up, stop right there, the sentry said, stepping toward them. But between his foot lifting and his heel hitting soil again, the couple disappeared, right in front of his eyes, blinked out of existence. And not just the couple, either. Their entire cart, oxen and all, was gone. Not a scrape in the dirt to suggest they'd ever been there. The hackles on the sentry's neck rose as an icy fear burrowed deep into his chest. He turned toward the camp, poised to run, to yell for help, to call back up, but then stopped. What would he say? He'd seen a ghost? A wagon had appeared and disappeared? No one would believe him. There was no evidence. Even worse, they'd probably think he'd fallen asleep at his post and he'd be punished. But every fiber of his being called out for him to run, to drop his post and go. He fought the urge, tightened his grip on the rifle, and planted his feet. And when the inevitable cloud of dust appeared again on the moonlit prairie, he did his best not to see it, to avoid the staring eyes, to ignore the tip of the hat. The pattern repeated several more times that night, until a little after two in the morning. And when no dust appeared on the road, he almost refused to believe it, stood perfectly still in anticipation until the embers of dawn began to burn on the horizon. Despite his decision to stay silent the night before, he couldn't help himself come morning. It was too bizarre and frightening to keep to himself. And when he shared this story with his comrades, they responded just how he'd imagined. They laughed, obnoxiously, uproariously. And the harder he tried to convince them, the funnier it apparently became. That is, until the following night, when a different man had drawn the watch. Again, the apparition appeared, followed the same pattern, the same behaviors, the same blinking out of existence when confronted. The laughter from the other men was more subdued the next morning, and entirely absent the morning after that. As sentry after sentry met the phantom riders on their nightly watch, fear began to seep its way into the veins of the camp and a pervading sense of dread settled over the men. Rumors began to circulate. They were cursed, being haunted for claiming the land as their own, land that had belonged to the Métis and their indigenous ancestors before them. The first owners of the Red River Valley, the newspaper article reads, are resenting the intrusion of the mounted rifles upon the grounds sacred to their dead, and making their displeasure severely felt. The ghostly visitor is taking this means of showing displeasure at the desecration of the graves, many of which have been leveled off and destroyed through the process of time and the advance of civilization. Men began refusing to take the night watches, and the once quiet camp devolved into a state of panic and disarray. 
a plan was at once evolved, the paper said, to try and either capture the errant spirits or at least soothe their wrath and injured feelings. But with no success. And almost nightly, the wraith pursued its lonely midnight parade. I'd love to know exactly what kind of methods they might have used to try to capture the spirit or soothe its wrath and injured feelings. I'd also be curious to know what our friend Sir Arthur Conan Doyle made of this whole thing. I can't imagine that he missed visiting Lower Fort Garry on his visit. Sounds to me exactly like the kind of attraction that would be right up his alley. It's a historical park now, with plenty to take in, see, and do. And if you happen to get caught there after hours, wait long enough and you may just find yourself a very unique ride back to town. Our first story for the evening comes from Donya Coles. Donya Coles is just trying to survive the America. She is a writer of weird horror and dark tales. You can find her other work on Pseudopod, Nightlight, and Vastarian. Follow her on Twitter at OKOKNO. Link is in the show notes. Children of the Night, join me for Donya Cole's The Lighthouse, a Tales to Terrify original. Sienna looked up from the cradle of her arms and across the dust-covered wooden floor to the remaining rectangles of light that have gone from yellow-white to the orange of sunset. She bets it's beautiful, but she can't turn away to look. Can't turn her back on the other rectangle. There on the floor, the staircase, black like a void, like ink. No, not a doorway, she thinks. A mouth. A death sentence. The sun is setting. I should never have agreed to come here, she thinks for the thousandth time that day. That hour. She reached for her pocket out of instinct, to check the time, the bars, anything, but her hand felt only the soft cloth of her jeans. She had dropped it. It slipped from her fingers when the thing first attacked, snatched up Jason. And she, stupid, so stupid, had screamed and ran straight up the stairs like every girl in a horror movie. Like some sort of fucked up instinct to find higher ground. But it was a lighthouse. There was no way down from higher. Just the light, and that wouldn't do her any good. And the light was gone. The pieces of the bulb were all around her. Thick, long shards of glass now dust-covered and long-shattered by something. That thing probably did it. Probably broke them all on a rainy day so that it could never turn on again, she thought, staring into the void of it, its impossibility pressing against her mind the way it pressed against the doorframe, just at the edge of coming in. There was no light. Not a lighthouse anymore, just a tower. And she was trapped in it like a princess. She had to get down. The sun is setting and she should never have agreed to come. The thing, blacker than space, blacker than anything, shifted in the doorway. She could hear it dragging itself through the winding hall, settling back against the stone. Bone claws clacking against the floor, flesh sucking at the walls. It took up so much space, how had they not seen it? Because Jason had kissed her, she remembered. She hadn't been looking for a monstrosity. She'd been looking for cool features to capture, and he had probably been thinking about kissing her. And she had definitely been thinking about how close he was. How she could still smell him even with all the mildew and salt-wet air that filled her nostrils. 
She had been looking at the inside, the small, high-up, broken windows. The way the shattered glass caught the light and twinkled like diamonds on the debris-covered ground. Old rotting ropes, rusted metal. Wood that had turned black and soft with wet. Sharp treasures hidden among them. She tried to take a picture of it, but it came out dark, the magic of light absent. She should have looked closer. She looked now for a secret, any secret. A hidden ladder, a dry rope that had somehow survived the rot of wet and time. Nothing. Just those long daggers of glass, thick and sharp. They hadn't been paying attention then, and certainly not after Jason had snuck around and pressed his lips, hot and chapped, against hers. His tongue was gum-cool when it entered her mouth. The whole thing happened fast, so fast. He pulled away and looked at her, head to the side, shy smile on those same lips. His hand a brand on her bare arm, a question of more. Sweet. So sweet. That's why she had agreed to come. She thought about it, trapped in the tower now, how sweet Jason had been. Her smile didn't disappear with Jason. It took a few seconds. Maybe five, maybe ten. Maybe she was wrong and it had been an eternity. But she stood blinking. Her eyes locked on the black, against blacker space that should have been Jason and wasn't. It happened so fast. It moved so, so fast. But it became still after it disappeared Jason, so she stood, staring at it, picking the starlight parts of it from the void. Claws and teeth and so many eyes that swum and winked in a mass. She thought tentacles as she stared, her phone slipping from her fingers. But no, not right. Whatever those things were, they were not anything as earthly as tentacles. The phone hit the stone floor and it shattered. Stupid things were so fragile. She ran. Not for the door. She was a stupid, fragile thing, too. She ran up, chasing those small lights from the broken windows around the winding steps, and that thing followed. Seething bulk and skittering claws, she could hear it as it came after her. Wet, sucking snaps as it pushed and pulled away from the wall like tiny firecrackers. She dashed into the room at the end of the steps, the space that used to hold the light, the only light left. It stopped at the door, the sun holding it at bay, but the sun is setting. Sienna looked at the void. It had pressed all the way up, filling the space, swallowing the shadow. Those things that were not tentacles swirling over themselves, dark against dark. Those blinking eyes locked on her. The sucking, scraping noises as it shifted. She stood slowly and peeked out of the broken glass. Below her, the waves tossed dark and wild against the rocks. No way to climb down. The sides of the building were slick and smooth from years of wind and water. A scratching sound and she snapped her head back. It had moved. The light had retreated more. She waited, still as a mouse, but it did not reach for her. The light still made a line between them. The glass sparkled, caught the light and looked like treasure again. Looked like a gift. She picked a shard up, carefully. The length of it from the tip of her finger to the middle of her forearm. The sides like razors, she turned it delicately in her fingers before settling it in her palm. It bit her skin, and she thought when she lifted it, she saw the thing in the doorway shiver. Brave now, she laughed. A mad high sound and advanced, holding the glass in front of her like a torch. Closer to that thin line of sunlight, passing that border of dusk on the floor. Quick as a whip, the thing sprung dark unfurling into teeth and claw, reaching to meet her. No fear, no hesitation. Quick as Jason's kiss. 
She dropped the blade. It shattered like her phone and caught the dusk, throwing it outwards into a thousand different glimmers. The thing sizzled and lurched back, retreating as she did the same, scrambling on feet and palms, leaving behind spots of red. At the wall she stood and looked at the dark waves again. The other dark, that thing, would swallow her up just like it had swallowed up Jason. She turned back. Small lengths of it were nudging against the floor, searching for darkness around the small stars she had made, and finding it. The glass glittered, drawing her eye. Long daggers of it. She knew that the thing was not afraid of being cut or stabbed. It was afraid of light, and the sun was setting. I can swim. If I jump out, I can get some distance, avoid the rocks, and I can swim, she thought, as she scrambled up the window, quick as a cat before she lost her nerve, glass biting into her palms. Feet on the ledge she released, pushing out, grabbing hope and attempting to fly. Over the wind there was a sizzle, and she felt herself tugged backwards. It moved fast. And sunset came immediately. That was Donya Cole's The Lighthouse, as read by Amy Paunessa. Amy Paunessa has been the producer and host of The Bloodlust, a horror movie review podcast, since 2014. She has narrated stories for various other podcasts, including Knife Point Horror and The Alexandria Archives. She's thrilled to read for Tales to Terrify, especially because she credits the podcast with reigniting her love of horror fiction. You can contact Amy through her website, thebloodlust.net. Thank you, Amy. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Our second story comes from Lauren Mills. Lauren has written horror stories in her darkened room ever since she was a teenager, and has only just decided to release them from captivity. When she's not writing, she can be found in the deep recesses of a library or in her garden growing misshapen tomato plants. Listen with me, children of the night, to Lauren Mills' The Spider, a Tales to Terrify original. She didn't want to turn around. She tried to root herself down to the spot, cement herself to the side of the bed. 
She placed her hands on the mattress, so tightly gripped to the sheets that her knuckles had turned white. There would be circle prints on the palms of her hands in the morning, where her nails met her palms. Come on, love, he said. Look at me. She understood that that's what he was saying, but no one else would have in the room. What other people would have heard was a series of clicks and squeaks. She didn't want to move, but she would be forced to. There would soon be a claw attached to a giant hairy arm that would try to roll her over. She imagined the appendage hovering over her body. She shook her head, but the clicks became something that would be considered laughter. I'm not going to ask again, love. Love was spat out in clicks and shrills. A cold and sharp claw that pricked the side of her throat. The blood was hot against her neck. She pushed herself onto her back. Her bruises and bumps ached in a symphony. The ceiling was caked in a thick, ropey web that almost threatened to fall down on her. Her husband was a black blob that seemed to hunch over the bed. The hundred eyes that glowed in the dark. She could only look at him through the cracks of her fingers. Thank you, he said. His furry body laid against her. Coldness of the shells on his legs made the hair on her body stand on edge. She could feel his breath as he would place his head on the pillow. His head twisted slightly at an angle. His abdomen would rise up and down. He put one of his forelegs onto her arm, pinning her down onto the bed. He would move on to her soon. His legs perched around her like a cage. His teeth just at her throat. He would thrust, but she never knew what was inside of her. Then, as quickly as it started, it would be over. He would pull away, and there would be blood running slightly down her legs. He would whisper in her ear, with the pinchers that she was afraid he would cut her. Soon, he would click. Soon. The mornings were the best time of day. Her husband would stuff himself inside his suit, his eight limbs stuffed inside a suit and slacks. She was surprised that she never had noticed the toupee or how he wore makeup to whiten his furry skin. His cheekbones seemed high. His eyes glimmered with intelligence. Even now, she thought he looked handsome, like a movie star. After he kissed her cheek and exited the door, she was alone. Alone in the house that was covered in webs. The moans from underneath her feet caused her skin to crawl. But she could just wear earplugs. She would pick up a mop and try to clean the house the best she could. If you could lift off all the webs from the rooms, the house would be what you would consider grand. Full of charm. Like something lifted out of the 50s. It had four good-sized bedrooms, all on a separate floor, a dining room, and a lounge room, as well as a kitchen big enough for two caterers to never meet. The calming colors of pastels, yellow, blue, and green, covered each of the rooms. It would have been something she would have chosen herself. The threads that covered the house were thick and ropey. They covered all the windows and doors, so to step out, you would have to almost maneuver yourself on your side. The stickiness of the webs would cause her to stop in the middle of the doorway, which at this point almost seemed like a tunnel to the outside. During the days that she would go grocery shopping, the tunnel seemed easy to squeeze out, as though when he burrowed himself out in the morning, he would widen it for her. The thought, how little, made her smile. As she began to dust, 
she saw a picture of them when they were younger. She would have been in her early 20s, and he would have been nearing 30. Although she wasn't sure now, as she looked at the picture, the howls from beneath her feet grew louder. She turned up her music. She wondered how she never saw how awkwardly his limbs jutted out of his suit, how his face seemed taut underneath the fake skin. Before they were married, he had taken off the suit. She had seen him in all of his glory and horror. He had peeled off the makeup and the costume and laid bare in front of her. At that moment, she wanted to accept him for all his parts. She wanted so desperately to see beyond the costume. I know you can hear me. Please, please, before he comes back. She turned up her music and placed the picture back down. She walked around the lounge room, almost tripping over the webs in the room. They stuck to her feet, covering her shoes. If she tried to pick the sticky substance off, it would become attached to her hand. She would have to get into a hot bath to dissolve the webs. For the love of God! The only room that wasn't covered in the web was a room at the far end of the house. It was a room that she had dug out for herself, fitting in between the master and the bathroom. The room was where she spent quiet moments to herself, between cleaning and dinner time. The room was completely white, and in the corner was a rocking chair, a box with knitting gear, and a desk with exercise books after exercise books, each page filled with her own handwriting. As she sat down, she opened up a new page of her book. She knew she didn't have the journal out before. Now it laid down with sticky residue underneath her fingertips. He liked her journaling. He loved laying in bed, his eyes glancing toward her fingers. As though he held all of the secrets in his hands. It wasn't in those journals that she laid out what was in her chest. He thought that she would furiously scribble over the page her real thoughts. Her true thoughts. No. That was in the corner of the room. She rifled through the box. Everything felt soft and new under her fingertips. At the very bottom of the box, she found it. Trapped within a circular frame, the picture almost jumped out at her. The human-sized black spider in the middle of the tapestry. The woman in the middle, wrapped tightly within a web. The spider's teeth poised and locked. She sat on the rocking chair. You can hear me! I know you can hear me! She furrowed her brow. She couldn't turn the music up any louder. Instead, she focused on the woman in the picture, the way her body was wrapped up tightly in the web. Her face seemed to be almost blue. She dug her needle into the canvas. She only had a little bit to go before she would be finished. She didn't know what she was going to do with it. Most likely, she would throw it in the closest rubbish bin when she went out to the grocery store. She traced the teeth of the spiders. It perched over her, jaws unlocked. She placed the needle point back in the box. She hid it under the wool and the needles. She rubbed her arms, the chill of the air conditioner almost touching her bones. And she dreaded turning it off. He preferred the house humid and hot. Please, please don't let him do this. Please, don't let him do this. She had to make dinner. He would be expecting it as soon as he got home. She was making roasted pork, the pig still fully intact. She would have a small chickpea salad with avocado and some balsamic dressing. She needed to watch her figure, and she couldn't stomach the thought of having any meat. The house started to swell with the smell of meat roasting off the bone. She imagined him, bent over the pig, fangs gnawing at the carcass, the simple clicks and slurps of the mandibles against the bone. 
Her shoulders shifted, and she tried to crack her back. The woman set the plates, often balancing the cutlery on the thick ropes that covered the table. She couldn't hear the downstairs anymore. The voice had started to break into a hoarse whisper. Even if she took her earpods out, she doubted she'd be able to listen to downstairs. The place was set. She had placed scented candles throughout the house. He didn't mind, and it masked the scent of dust and blood in the air. He created little candle holders to stick the candles in. It was made out of the web, contained that hard stickiness that she'd become used to. A sharp pain erupted at her side, and she doubled over. Something pulsed beneath her stomach, and it created a thousand sharp little daggers in her stomach. As quickly as it came, it passed. She pressed on her stomach. There were little bubbles underneath her skin. Hard bubbles. Bubbles that seemed to extend her stomach. The door blew open. She whipped around. He had had a bad day. She tried to cry quietly into the pillow. Her skin torn and bruised. Screaming had started back up again after he had left her. Soon as he came home, his skin burst open, exposing the hairy exoskeleton underneath. He scuttled over to her and threw her against the table. As she laid against the counter, his legs reared up with his mandibles clacking. His head flew down, and his teeth jutted into her shoulder, breaking through the skin. He pulled himself out of her, leaving the barbs in her shoulder, and rammed his teeth into the other shoulder. To stop her screaming, he shoved his hairy appendage down her throat. She tried to gag, but the claw seemed to scratch at her. And he went to stab her stomach when he stopped. He threw her to the side. She remembered shaking. Her shoulder was torn to bits, and her body was bruised. Her head was cut, and the blood from the gash distorted the view of things in front of her. Her vision became so clouded that she almost saw him as a man. She sobbed and grabbed her stomach. She pulled herself up, her shoulder almost detached. Thick, ropey liquid was sprayed on her shoulder, and she knew it would harden and fall off in a few days, leaving an ugly scar. She pulled herself up the stairs, the bubbles under her stomach shifting. She fell onto the bed and huddled onto her side. Her body cracked and ached as she tried to shift her weight. The screaming downstairs started, and she placed a pillow over her head. She coughed. The scratches in her throat wouldn't heal for a while. He came scuttling in, climbing onto the wall, and positioned himself in a corner. His eight black eyes didn't blink as he stared at her. She woke up late the next morning. She saw a vase filled with roses and a card on it. To my sweet, I'm sorry things escalated last night. I just want you to know that I love you dearly, even when we do have our fights. Please, have a relaxing day. Yours truly. She held the card against her. She touched her stomach, but pulled back her hand as though it had been bitten. She moved her eyes downward and saw it. She was now completely naked, her body pale besides her stomach, which distended and was now blue in color. She placed her fingertips on her stomach. It rippled. She put her hand over her mouth. Her stomach heaved, and the vomit escaped her fingers. She needed to get it out. She rolled onto the floor, her body giving a loud thud. She pulled herself up onto the bed. Her legs shook. She wouldn't stay here any longer. She couldn't. She couldn't just place her headphones in her ears anymore. She used the walls to hold herself steady. She avoided the thick, ropey webs as she moved down slowly. The downstairs was almost wholly covered in the string that had wrapped around her life. Her shoulders still ached from the day before. Her legs almost gave way, her heart pounding in her ears.
She tried to be as soft as possible. She decided to not leave an imprint. She was at the front door, hands shaking as she turned the knob. Images flashed in her mind. A career. Takeout. Free time. A house without webs. She pulled the door close to her, and those images shattered in her brain. There were no more holes in the front door. Instead, what laid there was a thick, large, white wall. Her knees almost collapsed. Instead, she threw herself against the web. She tried to rip the gossamer, but instead, she became more and more entangled. Her rage was in each punch, but she just became more and more stuck in the web. Her anger grew and collapsed into herself as the threads held her in its grasp. She sighed and finally fell asleep. When she woke, she was tied to the table. Her stomach was large. Her eyes started to adjust, and it was moving. In the corner, her husband stood there, still partially in his human suit. Did you panic? He clicked. This must be very scary for you. Her stomach started to wobble and shake. She cried as she felt them scratching along the walls of her insides, banging against her stomach. Shh. This'll be okay, he said. It will be okay. Her body contorted and she cried out. Make it stop, she moaned. Please, love. He walked over and touched her sweat-covered forehead. She moaned as her stomach started to bulge further outwards. She saw her skin begin to crack. The fissures bled. Then they began to pour out of her skin. Thousands and thousands of them scuttled onto her body. They raised their pinchers, then bit into her skin and tore at her flesh. For the love of God, stop! She looked up at her husband, his hand stroking her hair. Help me! Please, help me! Her vision started to fade. You love me! I know you love me! They kept tearing at her flesh, eating her alive. Help me! She stared at him, then realized what she saw. A pair of her black headphones dangled from his head. She laughed. As they tore at her flesh, it started to grow dark. Then she could no longer see anything. After they stopped, they all seemed to scatter around the house, each into separate corners, claiming their own. He gathered her in his arms. All she was now was bones. She'd been thoroughly picked clean. He started to sob. He held the bones close to his chest. He wished that he could feel her body one more time. Nuzzle next to her once more. He had already dug a hole in the back of the house. The plot was right next to his previous wife. He dumped the bones into and shifted the dirt over them. She would be looked after in the life after next, like she was in this one. Saints who died for their children always received just rewards. Once he had laid her into the ground and shifted the dirt on top of her, he knew what he had to do. He walked to the basement, where she could never go. He knew how to crawl through his webs. In the middle was a cage. He looked at the woman, hunched and broken. He opened his mouth, his pinchers clicking. Do you want to move upstairs?
That was Lauren Mills' The Spider, as read by Danielle Hewitt. Danielle is recording out of New Bedford, Massachusetts, where the people can be just as scary as any horror story. When she isn't recording, she is tending to the two small children living in her house. They just won't stop screaming at night. Danielle is a graphic designer by trade, spending most nights photoshopping horror scenes out of your nightmares. Great to hear from you again, Danielle. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters through Patreon and PayPal. If you're not already a supporter, head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify for a look at all the awesome perks, from ad-free episodes and bonus content to shout-outs and swag. Every dollar helps, and we appreciate it so much. If you're looking for another way to help, why not drop a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Ratings and reviews are an easy way to show your appreciation and help us spread the darkness. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Pete Morsellino, Meredith Morgenstern, Julia Zellman, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we spin our deadly web with more Tales to Terrify. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.